Happy New Year. Uh, you know those moments you're like, at what point in like March is it too late to say Happy New Year? If I hadn't seen you yet, Happy New Year. I went to bed last night, said to Jenny, I can't wait to preach in the morning. I actually can't wait. I am so pumped about where we are going. And, and what I want us to sort of begin to think about this morning is what does it actually look like to follow Jesus? And I think we sort of sort of get our heads around this because, after all, it's in our mission statement as a church. Our whole mission statement is helping people become total followers of Jesus Christ. So if we don't understand what it means to follow Jesus, we're struggling, aren't we? Like right out of the gate, we have a problem. What does it actually look like to follow Jesus? Followers of Jesus... Being a follower of Jesus is about discipleship. A disciple is a a learner, somebody who is growing and learning what it looks like to follow Jesus or become more like Jesus. And I think it's so important because it's not just a check in the box. It's about life. It's about experiencing true life. The more I become like Jesus, the greater my experience of true life. And the more that experience of true life overflows into the people around me. If, if I'm more like Jesus, my kids get a better experience of life, right? Hopefully you get a greater experience of life. And, and of course, if we're becoming more like Jesus, then, then those around you are getting a better example of what it looks like for them to follow Jesus. But there's another step because it's not just about the church. Because I think the people who live around us in our streets and in our workplaces and in our schools and in our communities are crying out for the church to be the church. To show people what a life under the rule of God actually looks like that we might create a hunger and a thirst in the people in our communities. They might say, I want that too. And so can I say right at the start of this year, it is so important that we grapple with this question of what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. And that's where we're going in this series. We've got nine weeks where we're going to look at Hebrews 12 and 13. Later in the year, we're going to, we're going to have a, a whole discipleship series. It is going to be a theme of this year. What does it actually look like for us to follow Jesus? And as I say, in these nine weeks, we're going to look at Hebrews 12, 13. And last year, we, we understood that this book of Hebrews was writ, were written to Christians who used to be Jews. And, and, and they're at risk of, of going back to that old way. And Hebrews is written to the, as this letter to them to encourage them in the strongest possible way. Don't even think of going back to that inferior way. The Jesus that you have come to believe in is better by far. Jesus is the better way. But what, it, what good is knowing that if it never actually translates into behavior, into thinking, into speaking, into a way of being? It's just knowledge. And so at the end of this letter, with all of the theology that has gone before, the writer turns his attention now to some really practical things. And says, if you know all of this stuff, if you know that Jesus is the better way, then how about together we discover a better way to live. That we learn to, to make everyday choices that make that, uh, about following Jesus. That we learn to make everyday choices that affect our lives and our relationships and the people around us. So I want us to take nine weeks to look at Jesus, a better way to live. So without any further ado, would you open your Bibles if you have them? Open a device if you have it or just open your eyes. We're going to put the two verses that we're looking at today on the screen. Would you read with me? 
chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 1. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily, so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, should we pray together? Oh Lord God, we want to thank you so much for your word today. It is a precious, precious gift. Don't God, don't Lord let us take it lightly today, but let us treat it as the very word of God that is life giving and life changing and hope giving and I believe community changing. And so we want to pay attention to it today, God. And Lord, as we begin this journey of of working out what does it actually look like as a community to follow Jesus together, Lord, would you move by your Spirit? Would you give clarity to what's written? Would you bring challenge and encouragement where it's needed? Lord God, that we might be more and more every single day of the church that you died for, the church that you love, in the church that you're changing and completing. So God, we give you these moments now. Don't let us miss it. But we give you these moments. Would you speak in power in Jesus' name? And if you agreed with anything that I just said, why don't you join me and say amen? amen. Simply means let it be. Let it be. Hey, we moved to New Zealand in uh, 2012. And it was timing-wise, it was the worst decision I ever made. I'm just going to be honest with you. It was about two weeks before the London Olympics. I'd been crying out for the Olympics to come to town and I move away two weeks before it starts. Like, what was I thinking? And, I'm, and, and the thing is, I don't know if, you, if you're an expat, I don't know if you're American or, or English or whatever, but I don't know if you've ever tried to watch, follow your country through the Olympics in New Zealand, but it's impossible. Watching the Olympics in New Zealand is like watching the New Zealand National Championships held abroad. You know, we don't really want to hold them in Wanganui, we're going to hold them in London, but we're just going to follow the six events that New Zealand are good at. That's slightly rude, but you know, that's basically what following the Olympics is like if you're an expat. And so I missed, like, what is known really in the UK as like the golden Saturday evening of like British Olympic history when we won three gold medals on the track like not rowing not cycling but on the track we won three golds and one of them was Mo Farah my favorite runner the Somalian refugee wins not only the 10,000 meters but on this Saturday night the 5,000 meters as well and just imagine the roar of 80,000 mostly British people cheering on this guy and it's not like they just cheer when a goal is scored or a try is scored they're cheering every lap and it crescendos on and on and and I love Mo Farah he's like an inspiration to me in his running I'll never run anything like him but anyway and 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 he just like cruises around like he's out for a Sunday afternoon jog at the back of the pack and he just, he just looks like he's sort of out for a stroll. And then all of a sudden he'll begin to move up. Just move up just move, until 600 meters out, he hits the front. And his attitude is basically this. I'm going to stay ahead. And if anybody tries to run past me, I'm just going to run faster. Okay? And so people try to do it and they just run faster and faster and faster until about 200 meters out. And he just 
glides ahead of everyone and takes the light and the roar of the crowd. And the reason I say that is, is because this is the image that the Hebrews writer wants to draw us to. The readers would have been familiar with ancient Greek games, the, the Olympics, the ancient Olympics and other games that went on. They would have been familiar. They'd have had their own elite sports stars that they idolized and, 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 they, and they loved to watch. And, and so, it's, and, and so as, the, as the writer then begins to say, well, let me show you what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. He uses the, these elite athletes as a metaphor for what it looks like to follow Jesus. The problem is that for many of us, we don't relate to that. Even if you're a runner, you don't necessarily relate to elite athletes. We, we might be impressed by them. We might be even a little bit inspired by them. But we know we won't become like them. You know, I think that, 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 that when we think of running or when we think of, you know, elite sport, I wonder if it takes us back to sort of cross country at school. The moment maybe you forgot your PE kit and had to run in your shoes. Or, or maybe as a five-year-old when you made the cross country team and then... And then the only kit that the school had was to fit everyone. And so the singlet's like down to your knees. Or maybe like my sister, uh, what comes to mind when I think of school cross country is my sister's innovative, innovative approach to overtaking when at the top of a hill on a particularly wet day, she slipped and bum slided to the bottom and overtook a number of people along the way. If my sister listens to this, she'll be so impressed by me drawing that out. But even if that is your experience, even if that's the most elite you've ever been when it comes to running, I don't want you to check out. It's a metaphor. It's a picture. And faith is painted as this this race picture. But it's not about natural talent. And it's not just reserved for the rare few. It is an invitation for every single one of us to go on this journey with an attitude of an elite athlete and begin this journey of actually becoming like Jesus. And so there's five things that this passage takes us through that show us what our attitude is to be in this journey of following Jesus. And and, and it leads us to this big takeaway that this is what I want us to take away today. That if faith is a race, are you and I, are we running like we actually mean it? Are we running like we mean it? Let's go to verse 1. Let me show you the first thing I want us to see. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, it gives us this picture that our race takes, takes place in this great stadium with a huge crowd of witnesses. And they're the people of faith who've gone before and they're not cheering us on. But they're testifying to us. They're saying, I went before you and my life shows that God is trustworthy. So they inspire us. You know, I don't know if you've ever, ever been to an art gallery and examined the brushstrokes and been inspired to go home and paint like that. Maybe for you it's like the Great British Bake Off or MasterChef and you watch that show and you're like, dash to the kitchen. I want to do something like that. You know, maybe for me, you grew up watching cricketers and you, and you went out in the back garden and you put the stumps just a little bit in the ground. So when you hit them with the ball, they fling out just like, just like the great professional bowlers. Maybe that was just me. But anyway, you know, you know, maybe you watched a movie and you said, man, when I grow up, I want to make movies like that. When it comes to faith, that is what this is talking about. We have this great cloud of witnesses around us that inspire us, that spur us on, that tell us God is trustworthy and, can be, and that we are able to trust Him today. 
This verse starts with therefore. It refers back. To, it tells us that what we're looking at refers back to or it builds on what came before. And what came before is this famous chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, stories that have been familiar to the original readers of this letter. People in Jewish history who through their lives proved that God was trustworthy. But there's something even more remarkable about those people that I want us to see. The end of chapter 11 sums that up like this. All these, these these people of faith, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would be made, not be made perfect without us. They trusted God and God came through in their situation. But they never saw in their lifetime what God was ultimately promising. You know, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, they lived with an expectation that one day there would be a king on David's throne and that throne would go on forever and ever, but they never actually saw that king. They knew that God, they, they, they believed that God would send a priest one day who would minister before God forever, but they never actually met that priest. You know, they trusted God that he was going to send his anointed one, one set apart, one they called the Messiah, that so much of their hope rested on. And God, they, they trusted that God was going, to prom- was going to send that promised one, but they never actually saw it in their lifetime. But they so trusted God with that, that they were willing to believe him for their day, for what God was calling them to in their time. So how much more should you and I live lives that trust God in absolutely everything? Because we don't live in hope for seeing that king or that priest or that Messiah. We know his name. His name is Jesus. And as the church, we have come to believe in him. And therefore, if we have seen that God is faithful to fulfill every single one of those promises and more, how much should you and I make daily choices that show that we trust him? And here's the thing. As we live life inspired by those people of faith, but knowing the faith that we have come to believe in Jesus, just as they are witnesses to us by the way they live, so just so as they inspire us, so as we trust God, we become those witnesses. We become those who inspire those around us to live and trust Jesus. We prove by our lives that God is trustworthy. So the first thing is, is are we living inspired? Are we living life as a witness to those around us that God is trustworthy? Here's the second thing I want us to see. Not only are we surrounded by this great crowd, but we're to lay aside every hindrance. You know the moment just before a race where they introduce, you know, in lane three, Dave from Wanganui, something like that. I don't know. But anyway, they introduce into the crowd. Now, now an athlete will often come into the stadium wearing a tracksuit, won't they? When it comes to race time, they're not wearing that tracksuit anymore. They've laid it aside. They've taken it off. And it's not because the tracksuit is forbidden. You know, it's not like they're not allowed to wear a tracksuit in the race. It's just that they know that there is a more efficient way to run. They wear lightweight singlets and lightweight shoes. They, they, they wear aerodynamic things because they know that that's going to help them to run faster. So they lay aside the, the baggy, the heavy clothes that they don't need because they know they're going to hold them back. And I think this is a great picture for us in life. You know, there are things that are not inherently wrong. It's just that they're not helping us. They're getting in the way. You'd you'd run a lot faster if you got rid of them. Maybe it's time on social media. 
You know, maybe for us it's that series you've been watching or that, or that movie, those types of movies that you watch that actually the thoughts and the dreams and the, the patterns of thinking that come out of that for you are just not helpful. And, it, and it's not that we'd say, oh, they're inherently wrong. It's just saying, do you know what? It's making a choice where you say, do you know what? For me, that's actually not helping me. It's slowing me down. It's holding me back in following Jesus. So do you know what? I'm going to make a choice, not because I have to, but because I want to, to lay that aside. Maybe it's a discouraging relationship. Maybe it's somebody you're, you're spending time with and they just distract you. They, they, they take your focus away. You know, I, I had a girlfriend once. She was, she was a Christian, but I knew that she was the only thing stopping me properly following Jesus. So God said, you, you need to set that aside. You know, there are, there, are, there are so many other things. Maybe it's a job or a hobby that's just soaking up all of your passion and, and your zeal and your attention that, that could go on Jesus. But right now it's just getting in the way. And, and I wonder if we might make a decision today to lay some of those things aside. You know, I, I, I commute often running into the office and, and I run with a bag. And, and I don't really like running with a bag. It sort of weighs me down, but it gets my laptop or whatever from A to B, and, and that's how I commute. And the thing is, you can get used to it. And you can think that that's what running's like. But oh, the joy when I get to take that bag off. The joy when I think, I don't have to take all that stuff home. I'm just going to run home without a bag. Man, I feel so light. I feel like I'm running like Mo Farah. I'm not, nowhere near, but I feel like it. And I just wonder if some of us have got used to following Jesus weighed down with a bit of baggage. We've become familiar. It's like it's all we've ever known. And I wonder if the Spirit of God might invite you today to take some stuff off and to know that cathartic joy of being free and light to run fast. Let's lay aside every hindrance and then it goes on and the sin that so easily ensnares us. You know, we think of sin, we so often think of individual moments or habits. I, I told a lie, I, I was rude to that person. You know, we, we think of individual things like that. But what this is talking about is sin overall. It's talking about sin as a concept because sin is the opposite to faith. Fear isn't the opposite to faith. Sin is the opposite to faith. Because faith says, I trust God. Sin says, I don't trust God, I trust me. I'm going to do what seems right to me. That's effectively where sin came from, right? God creates humanity in perfect relationship with him. And he shows them the way to live. He shows them what is good for them. And he says, but, 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 but just don't do this one thing. And what did Adam and Eve do? They said, thanks God, we realize you're eternal. We thank you for making all this stuff. And we realize that you know all things. And, but actually, we're going to not do what you say. We're going to do what we think. And it wrecked their relationship with God. It wrecked their relationship with one another. It wrecked their relationship with the planet. (laughs) So when we become a follower of Jesus, it's the very opposite. We believe in Him as our Savior and as our Lord. We we trust Him as our Savior, that He has forgiven all of our sin, that, that we don't have to make it up to Him, that we don't have to try and be good enough. It is forgiven. It is done. He has saved us, rescued us from our sin. But we also believe in Him as Lord. Lord comes from the Greek word supreme. It means Jesus becomes the supreme authority in your life. It means rather than saying yes to me, I'm saying no to me, and I'm saying yes to Jesus. 
It doesn't mean I get it wrong. It means the posture of my life has turned. And now I'm saying, God, help me. I want to say yes to you in this situation. I want to know what it means to follow you. I want to know. I want to trust your ways. And I want to trust that you are good. And you desire good things for me. And I want to go your way. The imagery here around sin is of a snare, right? Snares that, 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 that trap you. Snares that stop you progressing in this race. You know, I wonder if for some of us, we've, we've accepted that, you know, I can say no to Jesus. Nothing's really changing. I'm getting away with it. And yet what this image shows us is that if you keep saying no, you may get away with it for a while, but it will trip you up. And if you make a habit of saying no, I think the message of Hebrews overall, harder as it, as it is, is that ultimately it may stop you running at all. It may take you out of the race. This is serious. We need to be a people with free to run. And I think that means adopting a posture of saying yes to Jesus. Here's the fourth thing I want us to see. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. In the ancient games, foot races were the only endurance race. Everything was about instant power. But foot races went from short to long. And the long ones were the only endurance races they knew. And it reminds us in this that following Jesus is a marathon and not a sprint. That might sound cliche, but I want us to see this morning that it is so true. It is a lifelong daily commitment to say, I want to say yes to Jesus. Oh God, help me say yes today. Help me be turned to you today. You know, I think for some of us, we listen to that and we go, that's exhausting. Like one day is hard enough. But I I think we have the wrong picture in mind when we think about following Jesus. You know, we think, I I don't know about you, but when I think, right, I'm going to get serious about following Jesus. I'm like, right, the alarm goes off at 4 a.m. I've got an hour in the Bible. I've got an hour of prayer. I'm going to tell 23 people about Jesus just before I get to work. The only reason I'm working is to save money to give to the church or to fund my next mission trip. And at lunchtime, I'm serving in the soup kitchen. I'm running three life groups and I'm serving in Kids Zone on Sunday. I'm just tired, Jesus. (laughs) If I tried to do that, I'd last a day. If that, that is not the picture. I don't know if anybody here, I know some of you have run marathons. And and, and a marathon is about 42.2 Ks. I say about, it is. (laughs) And they say that the race starts in the last 10 Ks. And so if you sprint for the first kilometer, you're not going to finish. And so you have to pace yourself. You have to manage yourself so that you finish well. Lots of people can start a marathon. There's not many that finish. You've got to pace yourself. I want to show you what this looks like. In Luke 10, I was captivated by this the other day. I was reading about Mary and Martha. There's these two sisters in the Bible and Jesus is coming around and maybe for dinner, maybe for morning tea. And and so Martha is busy and she's getting heaps of stuff done and she's making sure everything's in place for Jesus coming around. And when Jesus arrives, Mary just sits at his feet, cross-legged, listening. And Martha's saying, Jesus, would you rebuke my sister and tell her that she is being lazy and she needs to come and help. What does Jesus say? He says, Martha, Martha. Don't miss the fact that he says Martha twice because it's endearing. 
He's not working out what to say. He's showing, Martha, I love you. Martha, you are precious to me. I need you to hear something. Martha, Martha, I wonder if you need to hear your name twice today. Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things. There are actually only a few things that are necessary. And Mary has chosen the one thing. The one thing. I think we make our Christian lives about so worrying about so many things. Sometimes I begin to pray and I don't even know where to start. I'm concerned about so many things. And yet Jesus' agenda is that I am focused primarily on one thing. It's not that you, it's not, I'm not saying busyness is wrong. If God gives you the grace for busyness to serve in lots of different ways, that is awesome. If you all came in and just said, hey, I want to just sit at the feet of Jesus today and you didn't play a part in this church community, there would be a problem. <laughs> but don't be busy and neglect the one thing, the one who is most important. Following Jesus is about relationship with Jesus and in relationship with him, learning to trust him, learning to listen to him and growing more like him. And I think we've got to stop wearing ourselves out trying to win God's approval and come before him knowing that we are already approved and take the privilege that is ours to draw near. Let me finish with this, the final one of our five. We're inspired by these witnesses. We're laying aside things that weigh us down. We're we're removing the things in our lives that are going to ensnare us We're running with endurance. We're pacing ourselves. And verse 2, we are keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the source and the perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, pacing ourselves doesn't mean it's easy. And so if we're going to be a people who endure, if we're going to be a people who do the last 10Ks well, if we're going to be a people who finish well, then we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. After all, isn't he the one who came up with this faith? When, when we became separated from God, he didn't say, hey, you need to buck up your ideas. You need to become better. You need to do all of this stuff to win my approval. He said, I'm going to come and live and I'm going to come and die in your place so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be restored, so that every single day you can receive my spirit that's going to help you become more and more like me every single day. That is the Jesus we've come to believe in. And so if he's the one who is the source of our salvation, if he is the one who is the perfecter, the completer of our salvation, then doesn't he also become the example of what it actually looks like to live our lives in obedience before God? Hebrews 6.20 says that he is our forerunner. The image there is like the sort of Mo Farah, you know, the, the pack going around and there's one who surges ahead and takes the line first. But Jesus is our forerunner. Jesus who surges ahead and takes the line first doesn't do it to beat us, but to blaze a trail, to establish a way of faith that we might be inspired to follow. And so just as Hebrews 11 was all these people who inspire us, who are a witness to us that God is trustworthy, Jesus is our ultimate witness. Jesus is the one that stands at the finish line and says, come on, trust God, come follow me. So what was it that made Jesus endure? It's those words in verse 2, for the joy set before him. 
I first came across marathons in, um, in the 90s. My dad started running marathons, and I went and watched him in the London Marathon. I think, personally, the greatest marathon there is. And the reason is because, like, where you finish. You run down past Big Ben, down past uh, the Houses of Parliament, down Birdcage, with um, Buckingham Palace in front. And when you get to Queen Victoria, like, monument just outside Buckingham Palace, you turn right. And with Buckingham Palace behind and the, and the finish line ahead, like, the feeling, the exhilaration. And the thing about the London Marathon is, like, there are crowds everywhere, like, everywhere along the route. And so they're, they're cheering and, and, and just this incredible picture of what the finish line looks like. My dad, and, and, and the London Marathon's in April. It means you have to train through winter. My dad said when it was, when it was raining, he pictured the finish line. And, and, and when it was windy, he thought about Buckingham Palace behind and running up the mall. And, and, and when it was cold, he, he pictured those moments that he was looking forward to. Do you see what he was doing? He was creating for himself a joy before him. So that when he didn't feel like carrying on, there was a reason, there was motivation. And Jesus had a finish line in mind. Jesus, when he, went to, when he was beaten. Jesus, when he was wrongly, wrongfully accused. Jesus, when he was spat at. Jesus, when he was dragging his cross. Jesus, when he was nailed to it. Jesus, when he could have called down 12 legions of angels to just rescue him and say, you people just aren't worth it. I am off had a finished line in mind. Something he brought to mind. Do you know what that joy before him was? It was you. It was you. It was the pleasure and the privilege of taking broken and dirty humanity and seeing her forgiven and seeing her washed And seeing her restored to what God always intended her to be. And then one day presenting her perfect before the Father. That was the joy set before him of taking you and perfecting you and presenting you before the Father. So it was hard. He was able to continue because you are his treasure. You are significant to him. You are so precious to him. You are the thing he brought to mind that made him endure. So how do we endure? We've got to create a joy before us. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the one we fix our eyes on. We remind ourselves of all that he has done for us. We remind ourselves of the glorious hope that he has set before us. And I think it's as we take these five things that actually we're able to begin to live lives that, that where we're running like we mean it. We take these things seriously, where we do a journey where we become more like Jesus. And like I said at the start, I, I look at the suburbs around us and I want to say that I believe it's so important that we do this race well. You don't have to listen to too many stories. You don't have to meet too many people before you hear stories in our suburbs of gangs and of addiction and of poverty, and of brokenness, and of divorce, and of suicide. And I believe these suburbs are crying out for a church that are racing like we actually mean it. 
a church that are becoming more and more like Jesus. And as we do that, as we live under this rule of God, we're inviting other people into that. We're saying you don't have to be broken anymore. You don't have to live this way anymore. You can come and be restored and and, and washed and forgiven and, and presented perfect before the Father. You too can be like that. And so I wonder if that too might become part of the joy that's set before us. That one day we we might not only be presented before God ourselves, but that we might actually be able to stand and see people who were in those sorts of situations presented perfect before the Father. And know that because we ran our race well, we got to be a part of that. I wonder if the joy that was set before Jesus for these suburbs might be the joy that's set before us too. If that's the case, can I ask us a question today? If faith is a race, are you and I genuinely running like we mean it? Would you stand? And Josh and, and Dave are going to come up and Sean's going to come as well, sorry. A very own Bob Lee swagger. So great. And, and we've got some space right now. And nobody's expecting anything of you right now. Nobody's chasing you for anything. The things that were in your mind that when you came in this morning, they can stay there. The things that you're going back to, the things that tomorrow holds, they can stay there. And just take this moment, the blessing of this moment, as we sing songs of worship that again draw us into a fixing our eyes on Jesus. I wonder what it is that the Spirit of God has just challenged you on this morning. I wonder what it is that's been brought to mind. You're saying, okay, if I'm going to run like I really mean it, this is going to be laid aside. This is not going to trip me up anymore. I need to find time for the one thing. And there may be other things that need to go. I'm going to remind myself of the joy set before Jesus, the joy set before me. And remind myself that God's trustworthy. What is it for you today? I just want to pray for us and would you just bring that to mind right now? Say, God, this is what I give you. This is, this is what you're nudging me on. Father, you see us. I thank you right now we can come just as we are. No shame, no disgrace, nothing is hidden before you anyway. Nothing that is coming to mind for us right now is a secret to you. You know it already. You know it already. We just want to offer it to you, Lord. And say, we don't even know how to change half the time. The rest of the time, we don't even want to change. We just know that it would be really great if we could. So God, I pray for us as a church today. Would you lavish us with your grace again? We thank you that because of Jesus, it means it's not, I should, I I could, I would, I I'm going to try, I'm going to heap up loads of effort. If only I can keep at this, if only I can stick at it. I thank you that we simply come to you today. So Lord, would you lavish us with your grace again.
Would you pour out your spirit on us as your church? Would you make us more like you? Would you give us a heart that has turned to you? A heart that is soft towards you? Would you breathe on us by your spirit again? Lord, I thank you for anybody this morning that knows that they're not taking the hundredth step. They need to take the first step of stopping saying no to you as a lifestyle and turning to you and say, Jesus, I want to trust you as my Savior to forgive me, but I also want to trust you as my Lord, as the leader of my life. So this morning, I want to take that first step. And if that's you, I want to pray a prayer right now that you can just follow along with. The words aren't special, but it just articulates what you're trying to do right now. Something like, Father, thank you for your great love for me. And I acknowledge that I've been saying yes to me and doing things my own way. You call that sin, and it's tripped me up. (laughs) Today, Lord God, I turn to you. I believe in Jesus. I receive him as my savior. Thank you right now. You forgive me of every error, past, present, future. I thank you as I turn to you, Lord God. I make you Lord. And I say, Lord God, as I begin this journey, I don't know the steps to take. But I thank you. You pour out your Holy Spirit on me, the very presence and power of God to reside in my life, to lead me from this moment forward i thank you jesus that right now i'm beginning a journey of being washed and cleaned and prepared to be presented before the father one day thank you thank you thank you god we turn our attention to you in worship we bring you our praise and our gratitude in these moments we fix our eyes on you In your wonderful name, amen.